take your Bibles and we're going to start in Luke chapter 6 tonight. If you're taking notes, this is an unshakable life. That's the title we're going to use tonight. Certainly we've had our fill of shaky situations this year. COVID-19, which has made some people truly, literally shake in fear. Um, The uncertainty of where you're going to get it, and if you do, how bad it'll be, and what will become of you or those you love. A lot of people have been shaken by unemployment, not having a job, not showing where their finances are going to come from. Many, way too many, have been shaken by the loss of life in their family and loved ones, friends. There's the financial strain of all that takes place during a time like this. People have been shaken by having to have surgery and be in the hospital, even though we've heard tonight. Of course, there's relational struggles and emotional instability, and literally the list goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, there's been a lot of people shaken um, by circumstances. If I had to put tonight's message in one sentence, it would be, you need an unshakable life which can only be found by building that very life on Jesus. And so basically, we're going to say tonight, if you want an unshakable life, you better build it on Jesus. And that sounds so obvious, and it sounds so true, but can I tell you, it's uh, much more difficult than it sounds. Um, I I read an article today called Earthquake Resistant uh, Construction. And some of the most serious physical shaking you could ever experience, at least I've been told, was by earthquakes. And what they said that houses and buildings need in earthquake zones is a term called, I had never heard of this, ductility. Not like a duck, but D-U-C-T. Ductility. And they define it. The article says the ability of building to bend and flex Um, when exposed to the horizontal or vertical shear forces of an earthquake. In other words, ductility is what they do with houses and buildings who live in this earthquake zone, and they build them to be able to slightly flex this way and this way. So if the shaking is this way or the shaking is this way in a taller building especially, um, they they, they build it to bend and flex, and they do that by not just building it with concrete. They, the article says concrete is brittle and relatively collapses very easily. So if you just build in those types of places with just concrete, um, you're going to have your whole house collapse. What they said what you need to do is you need to add reinforced steel to get the desired ductility. That's what they say in the article. They said that a lot of homes that are built in earthquake areas um, fall down and are collapsed during those times. And the reason is, is they have a lack of quality control. And by that, the article goes on to say is that they didn't reinforce it with the right materials and they didn't reinforce it in the right places. And they said on the joints and the corners of your home needs to be the strongest and the most flexible. And then, of course, conveniently for my sermon, the last part says, but the most important thing is to be properly connected to the foundation. And the foundation cannot be, the article says, and I quote, it cannot be built on sand, but on firm soil. I thought, you know what? We need to weather, can I say, survive and flourish in 
shaky circumstances, spiritual life quakes of our own. We need divine ductility. We need to be able to have the supernatural ability by God that gives us the ability to be able to spiritually bend and flex at the right places, to have reinforced by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and then be properly connected to what the Bible reiterates over and over again, and that is that Jesus Christ is our foundation. And we build our lives, an unshakable life, on who He is and what He's done. So let me give it to you. If there are tonight, if you were to ask me, what do you need, Pastor Walker? What do I have to have to have an unshakable life? Because I've already faced some life quakes this year, and I'm sure if I live long enough, I'm going to face a number more. So how do I have an unshakable life? Let me give them to you. There are three of them. You write them all down, then I'll go unpack them one at a time. Number one, you need an unshakable foundation. I think you could guess that from the opening illustration. We're going to take a look at that. Number two, you need an unshakable faith. And then lastly, you need an unshakable future. So we're going to talk about what's gone on before you and what's what's going to go on in the future and then how to live it out in between. That's basically the framework that we're going to try to do things through tonight. So I had you turn to Luke's Gospel chapter 6, for a reason. Jesus is going to tell a story about how important uh, building your house, literally, on a foundation is. So Luke chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 46. Let me put it in its context. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? So let me start out with, Lord, Lord is four times in the Gospels. Three of them are in Matthew. One of them is here. Lord, Lord, anytime you repeat something, remember when he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Moses, Moses at the burning bush. Remember that? Samuel, Samuel, when he was a little kid in the temple and he heard God's voice. I mean, over and over, Jacob, Jacob. I mean, there, there are many references. The double evocative or the, using someone's name or calling on them twice is very emphatic. You know the famous one in Matthew seven twenty. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name done many miraculous works. And he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So here's the key. It's not how intense you are or as sincere you are about your relationship to God that makes it real. That's not it. Here's what the word says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And listen to what he says. And do not the things that I command you. Right? He says, and not do what I tell you. So here's how you, listen to this little formula, ready? Doing is expressed by no, knowing is expressed by doing. Not knowing is expressed by not doing. You read 1 John, you're going to find that that's the theme of the entire epistle. How do you know if you know God, 1 John says? If you keep his commandments, you do what he says. You are my disciples, Jesus says in John 13, if you do whatever I command you. So it's not just an orthodoxy, it's an orthopraxy. It's not just that I hold the proposition and doctrinal statements of the Bible and I say this is what I believe. No, it's do I behave them. It's not just my belief, but does my belief make it into a behavior? And here's what Jesus says. You want to have an unshakable life? It comes from people who build their lives on doing what I say. Now, you would have been happy probably and content with it tonight if I would have said and Jesus would have said, just do, knowing my word or build it on my word or the things he said. But he didn't say that. He didn't say just build your life on what I say. 
He said, build your life on doing what I say. So let me get, break a myth in your mind. Spiritual maturity does not, I mean, let me say it this way. A bunch of knowledge does not equal spiritual maturity. You can know the Bible inside and out. It doesn't make you a Christian and it certainly doesn't make you mature. All right? So you can't just say, I know the Bible really well. That makes me really godly. It's not true. Here's what makes you godly, that I know what I do. I do what I know. Now, we all have a gap between what we know and what we do, and we're trying to bridge that gap all the time. But here's what Jesus says. You think you know me? Here's how you can tell. Do you do the things that I say? And then he's going to illustrate it. Watch. You want to have an unshakable life? Look how he builds. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, listen, and does them, hear and does. I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house. Now, notice how the foundation is crucial. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Now, that would be quake-proof. In our instance, life-quake. And when, not if, notice this. See, building an, an unshakable life is not a life that doesn't have floods and storms. That's not an unshakable life. It's not because bad things never happen to you. Really bad things. I mean, house-threatening, life-threatening things. That's not what makes your life unshakable is that you avoid and escape all those things. It's how you respond to them. Do you continue to obey God's word in the midst of all of those things? He says, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, I underline this, and could not shake it. You couldn't shake it. The waters came and they were a torrent. The storm was awful. The river overflowed its bank. It started flooding and coming up into the yard, and into the house, in the basement. But you couldn't shake this house. You couldn't bring it down. It wouldn't collapse. And the reason it was unshakable was what? It had been, it had been well built. And it's a compound word in the original language. It means strong house with a roof which means from the top to the bottom of the top, this house was well built. I mean, it was well constructed. It was quake-proof. You couldn't shake this thing, even the worst of storms, see. But there's a contrast. But the one who hears, now notice they both hear, but one does and the other one does not. That's the difference. And does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation, so he thought it didn't matter what he built it on, just that he built it well. But it, you can build your house well, and if it's not built on the right foundation, it won't last. And he says, and when the stream broke against it, same as the other, it immediately fell. I mean, it didn't stand hardly at all. And it wasn't just a small thing. It was a mega fall. It was a great fall. And it ruined him. It, it, was, it was utter devastation. See? So in, in the text, it's a comparison between two things. Remember a strong house with a roof? Strong floods. He, here's what makes an unshakable life, that your relationship built on Jesus is stronger than any shaking that you'll ever face, no matter what it is. It's not that the shaking isn't strong. It's not that it doesn't come and beat against you. It's not that you don't feel the loss of, in the pandemic or someone's death or you lose your job. It's not that we're robots and we don't have any feelings and we don't cry. It's not any of those things. It's that they don't take us down, see. And we still maintain our integrity and our obedience to Scripture. And we don't forsake God and all that goes with that. Another useful passage, if you want to cross-reference, 
Jesus said this about his church. Notice, this is how churches, not just you personally in your own life, but how churches have to be built. Matthew 16, 18 said, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. You know what he means by on this rock? The foundation of his life and death. And the gates of Sheol will not prevail against it. See, it's a comparison of two strengths. Hell is going to attack the church or, or, or is going to try to overcome it. It won't prevail. Why? Because, not because hell and all of its forces aren't strong. It's not because you're not going to be attacked, because you are. It's that when you, his church is built on Jesus, see, it's that connection to that foundation. That's what makes a difference. And what is it in particular about Jesus as our foundation that makes a difference? Can I have you turn back to Matthew? This is a slight review or an addendum to what I said on Easter. Matthew 27 and verses 51 through 54, and then Matthew 28, 1 through 7, are the two things on Easter, one on Good Friday and one on Sunday. They were two earthquakes. The two earthquakes, earthquakes are, it's called there was shaking going on in those two earthquakes. And one of them, the Easter one in particular on Sunday, was a mega one. And the word is seismos in the Greek, which we get seismology and how we study earthquakes and their effects. And so these are major shaking that's taking place here. But notice the first earthquake was on Friday and Jesus is dying. He dies on the cross and, and it says the whole sky was dark and it began to shake and there was an earthquake. Why? Because Jesus, that earthquake was indicating that Jesus was taking our sins. Now let me tell you, what does that mean? But on the second earthquake, it was indicating that Jesus conquered our sins in the grave and hell. So what does that mean for us? Let me tell you how important it is to build your life on Jesus as the foundation of everything. Here's why. Jesus took our shakiness on Friday. He took the shakiness that comes into our life, that goes after us and kills us. It's called sin. He took our shaky sin so that we could live unshakable lives. And you know what the unshakable life looks like? Life after death. That's Easter. See, Jesus took your shakiness so that he could give you his unshakiness, that not even death itself could ultimately shake you to the ground. And that's what we build it on. Not our performance, not how great we are, not how much we are better than someone else in our holiness in comparison. No, you know what it is? Our life, an unshakable life, is a gift to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could say it this way that the proportion that you see that Jesus died and rose again and its importance in your daily life is that proportion or level that you'll live an unshakable life. If you don't live out the death and resurrection of Jesus, many little deaths and many resurrections every day, if you're not practicing that pattern, that you won't be able to live an unshakable life. Now, in the passage in chapter 28 at the resurrection earthquake, it says that the soldiers that were there were trembling. And it's the same word as used of the physical earthquake. It's seismos. They were having fear. Was, they were having a life quake right there at the tomb seeing the angel. But notice it says the angel doesn't talk to them, but it talks to the women and says, don't be afraid. In other words, here's the difference that Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't have to fear, we don't have to shake the same way that lost people do. I'll tell you, it's discouraging sometimes to watch people who are Christians, and I watch people who are not Christians, and they respond the same way 
to the worst and shakiest circumstances. My brother, as Jim says, these things ought not so to be. It shouldn't be knowing Jesus Christ and obeying him and his death and resurrection. We should not fear like other people fear. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't find our security in things that other people find their security in. That's why we have missionaries, and that's why they go to India, and that's why people risk their lives, and that's why they can count it all but loss for Jesus. Why? Because we don't have the same fears. We don't shake at the same things, not because we might never get afraid, but it doesn't keep us from living out the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let me tell you the first key piece to an unshakable life is that you need an unshakable foundation, and you got to build it on Jesus, and it's got to be real. It's got to be real. Number two, you need an unshakable faith. Can you turn to the Psalms? Now we're going to do a little survey in the Psalms. We don't have time to turn to all these because there's about a dozen of them, but I'm going to survey them for you. So how do I live out this unshakable, uh, you know, having the unshakable foundation of Jesus now, I get that positionally. I, I get it that my sins are forgiven, that because he died again, the worst shaking I could ever receive is death, and I, I'm, I'm victorious over that. I get it. But how do I live that out every day? I mean, come on, Pastor Walker. Tell me when I get up to go to work tomorrow or school or my job or whatever it is, how does that work? There's a phrase, and, and I'm telling you what it is so you can do more research on your own. There's a little phrase in Psalms that's beautiful. It's never be moved. Never be moved. The Hebrew word is shaken. Wouldn't you like it that you could say, I'll never be shaken? Wouldn't you love to say that? I mean, I, I asked myself, I wrote down, is that hyperbole? Is that just making an exaggeration to make a point? Is it some sort of literal metaphor or, or, or literary metaphor? Is it some sort of, or is it actually real? See, I believe it's really actually possible. It's possible that you don't have to have a complete shakedown by your circumstances and situation. Let me show you what the psalm says about how that can be true. Psalm 93.1, if you write it down, and Psalm 96.10 are two psalms that say virtually the same thing, and they talk about how God created the world and established it, and it cannot be moved. It can never be moved. In other words, God says... For human beings, the most unmovable or immovable thing physically you could know is the planet on which you live. As long as God is in control of things, there are, this world will always be here. You can't change it. And there's even smaller things in creation. In creation, the most immovable object on the earth, which is established and can't be moved, is mountains. So you're going to get Psalm 46, right? So it's going to say, you know, the mountains may be moved into the sea, but the city of God can't be moved. So the comparison is, you think of the most stable, certain, immovable object on the planet, mountains. You're not picking them up and moving them. God says, they might be moved someday, but if you know me, you don't have to be. So we take these two psalms, and here's what he says, because why does that matter that the earth can't be moved and it's been established and God controls? Why does that matter? Here's what it mattered for Israel, because you know what it meant? That if the world God created, he created all the nations, and their biggest number one shaky problem was being invaded by other peoples. All the nations around them would come in because they were smaller, less weaponized, less militarized, and they were less formidable than about anybody else around them most of the time. 
And their biggest concern was is that someone's going to come in and take us over. And God says this, you don't ever have to shake because of that. Listen, but not because they're not bigger than you. Not because they're not more in number than you. How many times you see in the battle scenes and the enemy of God was more than the number of the sand on the seashore? You remember that phrase? I mean, constantly, they had more camels than Israel had people. But God says that's not, see, it's not determined by circumstances. You don't have to have things go right in your life to live unshakable. The real truth, true unshakable life is during the worst of circumstances that you can remain unshaken like the world and like the mountains in particular. Here's what it means. You'll never be moved means because I'm connected to God, I can trust that he is in control, that he is sovereign. So what does that look like? And what does it not look like? Real quickly, I want you to turn to this. Look to Psalm 10. I want to start with, if you have an unshakable life and you're trusting in God's sovereignty that he's really in control of everything, what will it not look like, okay? Because listen, and I want to use this as a warning. There is a false sense of unshakableness that you can have. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You got the shakes in your life, he says, and God seems distant. Where is he? In arrogance, now we're going to talk about the wicked. How do they face things? And the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they had devised. For the wicked boast of the desire of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses or announces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are this. There is no God. Now listen, see... There are people in the world who find their life to be unshakable because they think on their own resources and own ability that they can overcome everything. If they were just smarter, they call in a favor, they pull in the money, they have the ability, they have the position, the power, and they think that they can handle everything that comes their way. And see, here's what they say. It says in verse number five, he, his ways prosper at all times, judgments are on high, out of his sight, and he says all his foes, they're not going to, so I'm not going to have anybody I can't beat. I'm not going to face any situation I can't win. He says, listen, this is the key word. is the difference between the wicked and the righteous in their heart. He says in his heart, see the arrogance? I shall not be moved. See, I can forge my own unshakable life. I can do it myself. I don't have to have God. I don't have to have his sovereignty. I don't have to have him in my life. I don't have to depend on him. I don't have to trust, trust him at all. Now, in the text, he does it a couple more times. In verse 13 and 15, look what he says. Why does the wicked renounce God, second time, and say in his heart, verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and evil calls wickedness to account till you find none. And, and, and over and over in this text, here's what the wicked says. I don't need God. I don't need anyone. He says it in his heart. But someone who has a truly unshakable life has a different kind of heart. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted and you will strengthen their heart. See the difference? They're depending on God. They put God in their lives. They seek him. That's why, that's why they come to church. That's why they come to the services. That's why they turn to prayer and Bible first. 
You know why? Because they know this. I can't have an unshakable life on my own. I need to be connected to God. I need to be connected to him all the time. Psalm 46. You know this one probably best. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Write down shaky times. Therefore, we will not fear, though, see, it's not because they don't happen, but there are bad things that happen, shaky things, but they're still not going to fear. That's the difference. Though the earth gives way, here it is, though the mountains be shaken. Listen, the most stable thing can be shaken, but I won't be. How can he say that? Look, that's verse two. Look at verse number five. God is in the midst of her, meaning the city of God, verse four. She shall not be moved. Do you see the contrast? See, everything outside the city, including the most stable things, mountains may be shaken, but inside the city, because I'm connected to God, I'll never be shaken. You see that? The most shaky problems you have are not things outside of you. It's where you're going to be on the inside. Are you connected to God? Are you trusting in him? Are you believing him? Are you obeying his word? See, that's what the difference is. So you know what you need? You need to kind of have a faith that trusts God, that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that no matter how shaky life gets, COVID, finances, loss of life, people who have surgeries, sicknesses, I don't know what the outcome is, the uncertainty, the stress, the emotion of it all. No matter how bad you feel, here's what God says. Inside, I'm with you. I'm in the midst. That's what it means to be part of the city of God. So you have an unshakable foundation and you build on that foundation with an unshakable faith that you live out every day no matter what happens outside the city, no matter what takes place in the nations, no matter what's going on in America, that we can trust that God's in control and he'll work it all out. But you need something more. And that's the third one. You need an unshakable future. And that would be Hebrews chapter 12. If you'll turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. It's a comparison. It's a tale of two kingdoms. It's a tale of two mountains. It's going to be a contrast between Mount Sinai when God gave the commandments of the Old Covenant to Moses and the, commandment, and the contrast is between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, Moses and Jesus, the Old Covenant commandments and the New Covenant ones. Because here's the problem in Hebrews, if you know the context. Hebrews was addressed to Jewish Christians who had a temptation to leave Christianity and go back into Judaism, back under Moses, back under the law, because they were getting persecution. They were losing their, their possessions, chapter 10. They were, some of them were being put in prison Paul says for us to go visit them. So they were suffering and they were wondering, is my future secure? Because right now in the present, I, ha I have no security. I mean, the things I thought were secure, my house, my possessions, my freedom, I'm losing all of that. Am I doing it for something that's going to work out in the end? So here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let me tell you how secure you have a future you have. And he does it by saying to us in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him, who is speaking. God spoke, if you read Deuteronomy 4, and if you know anything about Mount Sinai, when they took the Ten Commandments and Moses went up there, I mean, they had a fence around the bottom of the mountain because even if your animals touched it, you'd have to kill them. You couldn't get close. When God's voice t 
talk to them from that fiery pillar at the top of the smoke and the lightning. It made, imagine this, if you, it made, it said the earth trembled under their feet. So you're in your tent and you're kind of cowering and you're hiding and your tent is shaking and you see the top of the mountain and you want to just hide and not look. I mean, they asked Moses, Israel did, don't let us, don't let God talk to us anymore. You go up there and let him talk to you. We're too afraid. And it said Moses himself was afraid to go up and see God. He says, see, you have not come to what may be, not be touched or a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. See, you haven't come to that. That's the Old Testament mountain. You don't want to go back into that, he's telling these people. You don't want to go back to that because that God is completely unapproachable. You can't get close to him. He's too holy. But see, the new covenant has come. And this is the approachable God. You can get close to him and you can touch him. That's how 1 John begins. John says this, and we have seen him with our eyes and we have handled with our hands the word of life. Remember, he says, we touched God. We've seen God. Do you understand? That's not just say, hey, we know Jesus personally. Do you realize it says in the Old Testament that if you look at God, you will die? Not that Jesus, now that Jesus has come. You can see him. You can touch him. You can be with him. Do you see how much better the new covenant is to the old? How much better Jesus is to Moses? Look what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God where God, Psalm 46, is in the midst. The heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthy one, the heavenly one, to an innumerable angels and festal gathering. This is not a site where you're afraid and, and, and fearful. This is a joyful celebration. It's a completely different scenario. And to those firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and most of all to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that bears a better word than that of Abel. Here's the warning. See that you don't refuse him. Because at that time he shook the earth, verse 26, but now he promised yet one more time I'll shake not only the earth, but the heavens. Yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. There's our word. See, he's going to shake the earth, and then next time he's going to shake the earth in the heaven. Did you know the greatest shaking of all is coming? That we haven't seen nothing. It'll make Mount Sinai look like nothing. And here's what he says. When that final shaking takes place, everything that is not eternal will be dissolved. Have you ever read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13? He says that God is going to come, Jesus is going to come, and it's going to come with fervent heat on vengeance on those. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and he says everything, everything in the heaven and earth will be dissolved. That means everything in, on the earth itself, everything in the stars and the sky, the only thing that's going to remain is the heavenly Jerusalem where God is because it's the only, only when it's attached to God is it unshakable. He's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth and everything. And only if you're connected to God will you be unshakable. It's the message for the Bible from the beginning to the end. It's your connection to him. It's your vital daily connection to him. That's how your life is unshakable. Not the money in your bank. Not the favors that you can call in or the position you have at work. It's how you're connected to him. And here's what he says. 
The things that have been made in order, listen, that the things that cannot be shaken. See, isn't that awesome? You don't have to be shaken. You know why? Because your part, look at the next verse. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, second time it's used, that cannot be shaken. You are members of a kingdom and your name has been enrolled in the list of life in heaven from eternity before. And your future is secure as anything. So here's the message. He says, be thankful. And then it says this, offer to God acceptable worship because he's still the same. It's not that he was a consuming fire. Circle it. He is. He hasn't changed. God still demands and requires obedience, holiness. And how can you express that? Listen, and we're done. You know what this Bible is telling us in this passage? You better invest in what matters most. You better learn what matters most. And don't get caught up in little things and have your world be so shrunk that the smallest things bother you. No, here's what he says. You better invest in what can't be shaken. And that's reaching people with the gospel. And that's making other Christians, helping them to grow and disciple them and and having a ministry in people's lives. See, that's the stuff that nobody can take away from you. That's the stuff that cannot be shaken. That's the kingdom you're going to have. Treasures, Jesus would say, where moth and rust, rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. See, that's what he's asking for. So please, don't follow the American dream. Don't invest in cars and houses more than you have to. Invest in Jesus. Invest in lost souls. Invest in service and ministry and Bible studies and discipleship. Invest in, in all kinds of ministry where people are involved because there's coming a day that a shaking is going to happen. A shaking that you won't even be able to imagine. And everything that was not eternal and connected to God will be gone. The question is, in that day, Will you be unshakable? Let's pray. Father, help us. We live in a world today in America to invest in and put our time and energy and money into so many shakable things. Not because all of them are wrong, not because we don't, all of us do some of them. We do. But we make choices that demonstrate that our number one priority without any comparison, is the things that matter most. The eternal things, the unshakable things that are in line and in keeping with your kingdom that's coming. Lord, there's a day coming, and it could be soon, where you're going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens and the earth and everything we've ever thought we knew that was certain. Help us to come to grips with the reality right now that you are the only thing that is certain. You and your kingdom and your glory. Help us to invest in that and do it together for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.